Well, as we move into James 2, verses 14 through 26, we're going to explore a debate, or maybe a so-called debate between James and Paul, but it's really not a debate at all. Both are talking about saving faith, but just from a different perspective. You see, this is not a contradiction. It's actually complementary. It's going to explore what saving faith really looks like and what it does. And it's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. There's a true story of a young minister in Oklahoma who went to this little, though long-standing church in hope of really reviving the ministry of it. He had stars in his eyes, a great hope for the future. He thought he could turn it around. He gave it his best effort, his best shot, week after week, preaching hard to the people, trying to get passion stirred in the church, but to no avail. Finally, he had one last idea. It seemed to work. He announced in the local newspaper on Saturday that the church had died. And on Sunday afternoon, they were going to have a funeral service for the church itself. All who wished to attend could come. Well, for the first time in years and his years there, the place was packed. In fact, people were standing outside on tiptoes looking through the window to see this most unusual service for a church. And to their shock, because most of them got there 20 or 30 minutes early to get a seat, there was a casket down front, smothered with flowers. He told the people as soon as the eulogy was finished, they could pass by and view the remains of the dearly beloved that they were putting to rest that day. Well, the people could hardly wait until he finished the eulogy. He slowly opened the casket, pushed the flowers aside. The people walked down. They filed down one by one to look inside the casket at the dearly beloved. But something happened, something that made them leave sheepishly, feeling guilty as they walked out the door. Because inside the casket, the young pastor had placed a mirror. And as they walked by, each of them got a good look at the dead church, one by one, as they looked into the mirror. A radical measure indeed, but James, addressing the church, says, I want you to take a little inventory of your soul. Someone may well say, you have faith, I have works, verse 18. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. There are some that believe that James is restating the argument, and some people are saying, I have faith, and James is saying, I have works. Well, you show me your faith without the works, James says, and I will show you my faith by my works. How can anybody know that you're saved unless there's some sort of action that proves that? How would we get a opportunity to share the gospel with a coworker if our life is a shambled mess, we are a hypocrite all week long, and then we want to preach the gospel of hope and change in Christ? What's a coworker going to say? You're a disaster. Why would I ever listen to you? But if they see some fruit, and I'm not talking about perfection, some sort of change in your life, they may say, hey, I want to know what you have. R. Kent Hughes says, faith and works are like the wings of a bird. There can be no real life and no flight with a single wing, whether works or faith. But when the two are pumping together in concert, their owner soars through the heavens. 
Faith and works, uh, neither is authentic without the other. We tackled verse 19 where we see that the, even the demons are orthodox, but obviously they don't have a saving relationship with God. And so James says, verse 20, are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow? Do you love James? He must have heard his brother preach before because sometimes Jesus was that direct, right? Are you willing to realize this? The word foolish is empty. So you could say, you shallow person or you empty-headed fool. You could translate it this way. Uh, James didn't read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, apparently. That faith without works is useless. Are you willing to realize this? See the words, are you willing? That's where much of life <laughs> comes down. Are you willing? Are you willing to hear what James is saying? Am I willing to hear? There's a play on words in the Greek here. It actually could read, faith that has no works does not work. You could hear, you could see James hand, with a sign outside the church. Faith that has no works doesn't work. And he would hold it out on a placard, right? Now, illustration. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was what? Perfected. Now, in Genesis 15, 6, I'm not going to go there for the sake of time, but most of you, if not all of you, know this famous scene. Abraham is wondering how God is going to fulfill promises of uh, offspring as the stars of the sky when he doesn't even have a child of his own. Is Eleazar, his servant, going to be this one? And God says, no, you are going to have a child from your own body. And Abraham believed in the Lord, and that belief, Genesis 15, 6, was reckoned to him as righteousness. When Abraham believed in the Lord, he believed the promise of God. God said, it's logizomai in Greek, I, I credit that faith as you being righteous before me, Abraham. You, are, you have now imputed righteousness. Done deal. That was 11 years before the sign of circumcision was given. This is very important to understand. And 30 years before Abraham went up on Mount Moriah to offer Isaac to the Lord. 30 years before this event of the famous Abraham and Isaac going up to Mount Moriah, him holding the knife over his son, 30 years prior to that, God said, you are righteous by your faith in me. So how does this work then? Abraham's act of being willing to offer Isaac was a sign that the profession of faith was actually legitimate. You see, his faith was a working faith, and through his works, his faith was perfected or completed. His faith was brought to maturity as his faith and actions worked together. Everybody with me? The offering of Isaac was simply affirmations Affirmation of a faith that had already existed 30 years before that and a righteousness he already had before God. That action of obedience 
was simply testimony of what he already was. Abraham's whole life, you could say this was maybe the climax of his obedience, was about obedience. Imperfect, to be sure, but still consistently, when God called him to do something, Abraham responded positively. And so all the nations would be blessed through him. And the scripture was fulfilled. Look at verse 23, which says, Abraham believed God. Now this is from Genesis 15, 6, what I just talked about. And it, his belief, was reckoned to him as righteousness. See the word reckoned? That's logizomai. L-O-G-I-Z-O-M-A-I. Logizomai. It means to, be, to impute righteousness. And Abraham was called what? He was called the friend of God. Now it's one thing if somebody says to you, God is my friend. Sometimes when people say that, do you, do you wonder a little bit about them? God's my friend. <laughs> but you know, it's actually a biblical concept. But how about if you heard God say, I want you to put your name here, and I'll put mine here for a second. Michael is my friend. What? Can you imagine if somehow, some way, a message came to you and somebody said, maybe an angel or something said, hey, I just heard something in heaven that I want to pass along to you. And I'd say, what is it? What is it? By the way, you're real shiny. Let me put my sunglasses on. God just said, Michael is my friend. I'd be like, what? What? Sometimes I wonder how God could even love me let alone call me his friend. Well, Abraham knew God so well. And this is what friendship is all about. That Abraham could be called God's friend. Jesus said, Greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And you, he said to the apostles the night before he died, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. That's John 15, 13 through 15. You see then that a man, James 2.24, is justified, and I think this is another sense of justification, by works and not by faith alone. You see, his works justify his faith. Think about it on a horizontal plane now. His works testify to a true faith. So James is challenging not saving faith, but false faith. Once again, James is not challenging the legitimacy of saving faith. He is challenging someone who has a false faith, a demon-like faith, a profession without any action to back it up. 30 years before Abraham ever offered up Isaac, God declared him righteous by faith. But that declaration, as we've just seen now in the previous verses, was fulfilled as Abraham worked out his salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2.12 says, work out what God is working in. Amen? It doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation, Philippians 2.12. That's what Abraham was doing on Mount Moriah. He wasn't working for his salvation. He was working out his salvation. Everybody with me? That's Philippians 2. 
Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael, and I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. There's 27 products up at the store right now, ranging from things like the teaching on 666 from the book of Revelation, the seven seals from Revelation, Scientology, Jehovah's Witnesses, the anatomy of a fall, how to avoid falling from 2 Samuel, and even teaching on the occult. Most recently, an interview with Frank Sontag about the New Age movement and his personal testimony. Hey, when you go to the store and you purchase a product, you partner with us to reach more people like you. So go to the store, walkintruth.com, click on the store, purchase a product of interest, buy it for a friend, and when you do, you'll be partnering with us to reach more people for the cause of Christ. We love you. We appreciate you. You can also give donations there at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Click on that store and partner with us today. We appreciate it. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. He wasn't working for his salvation. He was working out his salvation. Everybody with me? That's Philippians 2.12. And we're to work it out with fear and trembling. And indeed, that is what Abraham did. So uh, you have some key words. Paul uses the text as a root of his argument for justification by faith, not by works. James is using the argument that a true faith will be justified by what it does. You will know people by their fruits. You will know them by what comes out of their life. And this is what happened with Abraham when he offered up Isaac. And then the Lord said, now I know that you, you, you obey me. I know that you trust me. There's, uh, now that you have obeyed my voice, um, this is, again, a affirmation of his faith. Now someone might say, well, Okay, that's Abraham. Abraham was this chosen, mighty patriarch, but who am I next to Abraham? He had all these encounters with God. But there's another person brought forth, and this is how the argument ends, and it's Rahab. We move from a patriarch to a prostitute. In the same way, James 2.25, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Now, Rahab the harlot was someone who was living in Jericho and the spies came in and remember she hid the spies. And she said, I've been hearing about this God. I've been hearing how he dried up the sea and how he's dealt with foreign armies. And you know what? We were fearful when we heard you were coming this way. And she hid the spies and they made an agreement. And in that agreement, she agreed that she would not give their position away and they agreed to protect her. Joshua 2, 8 through 11, and I'm going fast because of the sake of time, but it says, now before they lay down, she came up on the roof, Joshua 2, 8 through 11, and said to the men, I know the Lord has given you the land and that terror of you has fallen on us. All the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. She says, I have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you as you came out of Egypt. What you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And when we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth 
beneath. Somewhere along the way, as she heard the news about the God of Israel, she believed. And her works of hiding the spies, at great risk to her own life, by the way, affirmed her faith in the living God. And so this is what happens in our lives. By the way, it's not, James is not just talking about helping the poor. He's talking about Abraham's obedience to being willing to offer his son. He's talking about Rahab's obedience to risk her life and hide spies. It's not just about feeding the poor. It's acts of obedience that bring out a life committed to God. Can you imagine being a Rahab? Maybe a woman who had tasted so much emptiness and so much abuse, hearing that there was hope, seeing the difference in these men of Israel. There's a Family Life broadcast some years ago. Leslie Ludy was being interviewed, and she shared, a young woman who is a Victoria's Secret model was interviewed for a GQ magazine. In the interview, she said, you know, everything about my beauty is fake. Everything has been enhanced in some way. It's not even real. Then she said at the end of the interview, even my heart is fake. She attained to all this worldly allure and appeal through all these artificial means, but inside she still felt empty and hollow. To me, that's kind of what Rahab was about. And so Rahab hid the spies. God honored her. And of course, we know the prominent place that Rahab has now been given in the Bible and even in the genealogy of Christ. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, final verse, James 2.26, so also faith without works is what? It's dead. If your body doesn't have your spirit in you, you dead. Because the book of Ecclesiastes says, the spirit returns to God who gave it? And once, by the way, you have a spirit. You have a soul. It's of great value. Jesus said, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You have a soul. You have a spirit. They're pretty much one and the same. And one day your spirit is going to go back to God. And your body, should the Lord tarry, is going to go in the ground. And then a great reunion day is coming. Because to be absent from the body is to be what? At home with the Lord. So anyone who's died, a loved one who's died in Christ, is with the Lord right now. Their body's in the ground. But on the day of the resurrection, the spirit and the body are going to reunite. And then they're going to have a glorified body. And that's what's going to happen in the future. Praise the Lord. Looking forward to that day. Some of you don't want to rush it along, I know. Your body is not all of you. You have a spirit. When your spirit leaves your body, your body is dead. A faith without works by itself is no more a living faith than a corpse without breath is a living person. Works are not to be viewed as an added extra any more than breath is to be taken as an added extra to a living body. One cannot exist without the other. If you are not breathing, you're dead. A faith without action, one writer says, is a decaying corpse. But the right kind of faith will produce works. A life alive with faith, alive with the Spirit, will be a beautiful testimony 
to the life-transforming power of God. You won't have to force it. There's nothing more you'll want to do. Amen? But walk with him and please him. Works are not the cause of salvation. They come from salvation. Grace is the root. Good works are the fruit. Don't ever forget that. Grace is the root. Saved by grace. Can't add one thing to it. But good works are the fruit. You come to the end of this section and you say, why are we having this debate? Think about it. Why are we having this debate? Because some people say, ah, I think I'm good with God. I don't go to church. I don't give. I don't witness to anybody. I, I believe I can meet God on the golf course. No, you can't. The devil's on the golf course. God's not. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? Look, I am not talking about legalism. I am not talking about you can't go out and enjoy life. I am talking about people who make excuses. They have no visible fruit in their life, but they want to convince you that they're good because God's a forgiving God. That's the verse I know. And the other verse they know is judge not lest you be judged. They know that one, right? So you, you might express some concern like, man, you know, you're living with your boyfriend or girlfriend. I don't see any visible fruit. You don't go to church. You don't, you don't give. You don't share your faith. You have contradictory views to the ethics of the Bible. In fact, you disagree with a lot of the main essentials of Scripture. But you're a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. And someone who maybe has a little boldness and knows this person might say, are you? Are you? And someone might say, how dare you? And they say it like that. How dare you? You got to flutter your eyes a little bit. <laughs> but isn't it the most important question of all to ask, has something authentic actually happened in me? Am I born again? Paul says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. And I think that's what James is saying as well. Well, Father, we are grateful for the book of James, even though very challenging. Um, really, when we think about it, it's kind of like a no-duh. I mean, every Christian, I think, sitting in here has a passionate desire to serve you, to love you, to love others. It's just a natural overflow of a heart in love with God. So this is what the Bible teaches. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, plus nothing but good works prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, for we are God's work of art. And thank you for what you're working in us, Lord, and we want to work it out. And we pray that we could have these ideas straight in our head, but ultimately, Lord, we serve you, we love you, and love others because you first loved us. We're born again to a living hope, and that power of the Spirit, that fruit of the Spirit is going to come. Yes, we're a work in progress. Yes, sometimes we take a couple steps back, but in the end, Lord, we know fruit will come out of a life that knows you, that's inhabited by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I pray that if there's anyone here who needs to do some self-examination, they're not sure if they know you. They're not sure if they're saved because maybe they don't see a whole lot of fruit. And for some, maybe they just recently got saved and they're trying to figure it out and there's room for that as well 
Where am I called? What should I be doing? But Lord, I pray that you would just be moving in this room, doing your work so we can respond to your spirit. I'm going to ask you to keep your head and heart bowed. And if this hit close to home and you're not sure you're a believer, you're not sure you're born again, make sure. Something like this, Lord Jesus, and I would encourage you to pray it right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming into this world. Thank you for dying on that awful cross for me. Thank you for your resurrection from the dead. I believe in you. I trust in you for my salvation and I want to follow you. Lord, for those who are crying out, those who may be rededicating and maybe for all of us as Christians, just taking a little deeper inventory, I pray that you'd bless that time as we reflect on your word and respond to it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listening family, if you're new to Walk in Truth, my name is Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona in Southern California. Hey, recently I've written a book called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It shows you how to put on what God has provided so that you can stand strong in the spiritual battle and stand strong against temptation with the resources that God provides. This book is available at the store at walkintruth.com. Go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, click on the book. I'll get you a signed copy and your donation will help support Walk in Truth and help us reach out to more people. Again, the book is Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, available at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.